Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. Come on. Let's give that to the Lord. You can do even better than that. You can do better than that. You can do better than that. Man, 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 it feels good in the house of the Lord today. The second service energy is like is off the charts. So I'm just y'all keep that coming this whole service. Uh, as Pastor Danny said, my name is Graylin Griffin. Uh, I have been fortunate um, to to be a part of worship services and experiences uh, with your local church and congregation on a few different occasions. And uh, you know, I am incredibly blessed by the the ministry, by the work that LifePoint Church is doing. I want you to know, as a church planter, as someone who is connected to other church planters and churches in the city of San Antonio, LifePoint Church is a beacon of hope in the city of San Antonio. I'm, and I'm not just saying that because I get to preach this Sunday. I'm saying that because it is the truth. I want you to know that this community of believers um, is making an incredible impact on the world in this city, especially in this side of town. Um, some of my, my church, uh, church launch team is, has been coming to uh, your services for almost a year now. We, we have been uh, invited by Pastor Danny and Pastor Rachel to come and drink deep in this season of building and preparation. And so each week, oftentimes, we're kind of scattered throughout the congregation, and we are the beneficiaries of the amazing work and the amazing teams uh, here at LifePoint Church. Um, I just want you to know, that in having the privilege of knowing Pastor Danny and Rachel uh, and Pastor Brandon and Andy um, and some of this team for a really long time, I have been fortunate to see that they are who they say they are. They are the real deal. They are, come on, that's, they are worthy of that. They are worthy of that. They are mission-minded. They are about the kingdom uh, and uh, I love them tremendously, and I'm honored to be here today. And so I get the privilege of, of walking through, of leading us through the second part of this series, Live No Lies. And Pastor Andy did a phenomenal job laying the foundation for this last week. Um, and I, I want to say this, that yes, these concepts come from an incredible book uh, by John Mark Comer um, called Live No Lies, but this, these, these principles, these ideas, this information uh, is rooted and grounded in Scripture. This is, this is not a new idea, but the way John Mark Homer delivers it, it's, it's very ex accessible. It's uh, digestible. We can actually take it and apply it to our lives. So uh, we're going to jump right into this. Um, Jesus gives us some very uh, specific understanding and description of the devil. He says this in the Bible that the devil is a liar. Amen? He is the father of lies, and lying is his native language. But Jesus also says in John chapter 8, verse 32, that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's good news. Come on, somebody. That's good news. But that brings us back to our thesis for this series. And like I said, uh, John Mark Comer is an incredibly gifted writer. He is a theologian, modern-day theologian, uh, and great thinker. And so we're going to read this a couple times because there's a lot of words and it's somewhat heady. But deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires have been normalized in a sinful society. 
We're going to read that together on the count of three. One, two, three. Deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires have been normalized in a sinful society. And last week, Pastor Andy, again, masterfully walked us through the first part of this thesis statement uh, in unpacking and dispelling some of the deceptive ideas that the enemy tries to spread. And before we get into the disordered desires piece of this thesis, I want to spend a couple minutes talking about truth. And Pastor Andy said this last week. He said, ideas are either helpful truths or deceptive lies. If they are helpful truths, we can accept them and we can apply them and allow them to uh, shape us. And, or if they are deceptive lies, then we want to reject them. And then Andy said this, and this was, this was paramount. This is what anchored a good portion of the message. He said, the truth about lies is not so much that we tell them, but that we live them. But that we live them. And when we live the deceptive lies of the devil, what we are doing is we are saying no to living the abundant life that God wants us to live. Amen? So the deceptive ideas that play into disordered desires have been normalized in a sinful society. And I love this. Uh, this, this series is, is so, so powerful. Uh, I had the privilege of, of going to my cousin's wedding last weekend in Dallas. And, you know, how many people like traveling to Dallas? They like the 35 corridor? You, you enjoy that? No? Okay. I do. I do. You want to know why I do? Because I have three children. I have three children, five, and who ask a ton of questions, three, who doesn't care what I say. Uh, he just is going to do what he wants. And I have a seven-month-old who doesn't sleep. So when the opportunity came for me to take a drive for four and a half hours to and from I had to ask permission from my wife. I really did. I had to ask permission. And, she, and I, had, I just set it up, you know, how we try to do. And I was like, well, babe, um, it's for the family. <laughs> and she was like, you just want time by yourself. And that was true. And I had to just be honest. And long story short, I got permission. Amen. Thank you so much. Husbands, you guys know what I'm saying right now, all right? She, she let me go. But what it did is it gave me an opportunity to, um, to read this book or listen to this book. Any, any audio book people in the room? Okay, this, this book, Live No Lies, is a good one. Uh, it is actually narrated by the author of the book. John Mark Comer does read it. And I sped it up to about 1.5, 1.8 at times and was able to finish it between going and coming. And what it did was it made me so excited. It convicted me. Um, it inspired me um, because this, and I was preparing for this series, but this series, ladies and gentlemen, people of God, is meant to equip you, to strengthen you, to, to give you the tools to dispel the lies of the enemy, and that is strategy. We are not just on the defense, we are on the offense, and we're uncovering the lies. We're uncovering the things that the enemy wants to try and do in secret, but we see you. And today I pray that as we go through this, we can uncover one more lie and exchange it for the truth. So truth. And before we get into what a disordered desire is, we're going to talk about truth. If I say you can't handle the truth, how many people recognize that passionately articulated line from Jack Nicholson from A Few Good Men? I've never seen the movie, but it is so culturally iconic that you recognize it and I immediately think of him. It's become a meme um, and if I, could, if I could 
I guess, titled this part, part, portion of the, uh, the message today. I would call this, Can You Handle the Truth? We're going to take a quick journey into Scripture and to the book of John, the Gospel of John, and that is in the New Testament. John, his, his book is awesome. He captures some of the things that other Gospels don't capture. And um, one of the things that we want to look at is in the book of John chapter 18. Now, I know we've gone through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but we're going to rewind back to when Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. The stage is there's an angry mob outside, and Pontius Pilate has been tasked with uh, figuring out what to do with Jesus. If you read this particular gospel, uh, his wife comes to him, I think, either the night before he meets with Jesus and says, hey, I had a dream. I'm very nervous about you meeting with this person. Something's different about this man. So why was Pontius Pilate even involved in this? It's because the Jews were accusing him of a Jewish crime, but they were governed by the Roman Empire. And so Pontius Pilate, being the governor of that particular area or region uh, in Jerusalem, was tasked again with coming up with the punishment that he would receive. So Jesus is there standing before Pontius Pilate, and he, again, is already skeptical. He's a little bit perplexed. He's not exactly sure what to do with this man, so he's asking him questions. And he says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, like he does so many times throughout the scripture, he'll answer the question in a very unique way. Jesus answers, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pontius Pilate pauses. And then he asks one of the most crucial questions, one of those life-changing questions. He asked this in verse 38, what is truth? What is truth? The scripture goes on to say that after he asked this question, he then goes outside to the Jews. He asked one of the most crucial questions you can ask, but he didn't stay long enough to get the answer. He knew he experienced something because the scripture says that after he asked this question, he goes outside to the angry mob and pretty much says, hey, I wash my hands of this. This man has, has done no wrong. But he didn't stay long enough to get the answer. He did right by asking, but he didn't stay. So what is truth? If we break it down and we get technical, truth is a state, a reality you have to accept as fact regardless of if you agree with it or not, whether it makes you feel uncomfortable, whether it fits your agenda or your lifestyle, truth is truth. But we sometimes confuse what is true with all truth. We confuse these terms. They become synonymous in our society. What is true uh, and what is truth. And that is why we have this current way of thinking, ideology within our, uh, our society of my truth and your truth. Everyone familiar with that? Have you heard people say that? You understand the concept of the idea is I have my belief systems and you have your belief systems and I will live my belief system as my truth and you will live yours as your truth and we will live harmoniously together and we will be friends and we will cooperate without problems or any type of issues. Correct. No, that is not the way it works. 
I like to think of it this way. It, now, now I'm going to give you an example really quick, and I may make a couple food references today, but Pastor Danny does it all the time. Uh, and so I'm taking a page out of his book. When he says, you know, if you love, you know, barbacoa and big red, I say amen every single time I've heard him say that because it's true, right? There we go. Now, if I ask this question, how many people love Chipotle? Raise your hand. How many people love Freebirds? Raise your hand. If you had to pick between the two, how many people would pick Chipotle? Okay, how many people would pick Freebirds? If you ask me my opinion, I would say Chipotle. No, that's funny. I would say Freebirds for one reason. And if you know what that is, just say it out loud. The queso. Thank you. It's the queso because Chipotle's queso is trash. Uh, I'm sorry. That, that is as passionate as I will get today. But what has made these two establishments so incredible, and they're frequented by so many different people, regardless if you're trying to be healthy or you just want a good meal, is the options. You walk into these places and you can look over the counter and say, I want carnitas, I want sofritas, I want uh, cilantro lime rice, or I want no rice at all, black beans or barracho beans. You want a tortilla or not? Both of these places have this pick your pleasure model. But that's not the way truth works. Unfortunately, that's how we live. I like, I like this philosophy. I like this idea. I like the way this sounds. I like what she said on Instagram or what he said in a YouTube video. And we form this truth burrito or truth bowl, depending on where you're at in life right now. <laughs> but the thing is, we do not get to pick truth. That is not the way truth works. Amen? I'm going to continue unpacking this. I'm going to get a little bit cerebral, but it's not going to get too deep. Another part of truth or idea of truth is subjective truth versus objective truth. All right? Subjective more of an opinion, objective fact. A subjectively true statement would be, I'm cold when I don't have a coat on. That is a subjective statement for me. A subjective statement for you may be, I'm not cold when I do have a coat on. Both statements are true because what's true in this case is subjective in nature. The fact stated is dependent upon the subject stating the fact. Y'all with me? That makes sense? We're good. Okay. An objective truth, however, is not subject to me or my opinion. An example would be the blue whale is the largest marine mammal humans know to exist on planet Earth. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a fact. Because no one else has found anything else in all the research that we have done that still remains true. So let's go back to the scripture. John chapter 18, again, Pilate hears truth, or he stands in front of truth, but when, when he asked the question, he left. That was noncommittal, which is problematic. What that means for us is, even if I'm not there to hear the truth, it doesn't make it any less true. Amen? The mob's truth was public opinion. It was the noisy majority. It's the equivalent of, of fake news and political pundits going back and forth. And whatever news or media outlet you listen to, it's super loud. There's so many things coming at us. But just because it's loud doesn't make it true. We need truth. But I'll ask the question again. What is truth? And the only one who can truly give us the answer Jesus. So let's look to the scripture. John chapter 14 verse 6 says this, that I am 
the way, the truth, and the life. These are Jesus' words. Ladies and gentlemen, that is good news. Put your hands together because that is good news. He shuts it down with that statement right there. All of the noise over the millennia, over time, all of these things, these opinions, these thoughts, these ideas must bow down to this statement that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So, as, as a teacher, um, you know, I, I did a little math teaching back in the day. We're, we're going to say that Jesus equals truth. And so Jesus is our variable. So we're going to plug in Jesus where it says truth in the next verse. John chapter uh, 8 verses 32 says it this way, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Read that with me, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And now we're going to put Jesus where truth is, and we're going to read that out loud and read it with authority and like you believe it, that you will know Jesus, and Jesus will set you free. Say it one more time because it feels good, that you will know Jesus, and Jesus will set you free. Come on, somebody. We can go home right there. While we need to know what is true, we really need to know who truth is. We need truth guiding our lives instead of the deceptive ideas that we talked about in last week's beginning of this series. Because the deceptive ideas lead to the second part, the disordered desires. And so we begin today's topic, disordered uh, desires. Now, a desire that is disordered is exactly like it sounds. It's out of order. And this is what the scripture calls getting our fleshly desires out of order. And we place our fleshly desires over our mortal desires or godly desires. To make it a little bit more applicable or uh, within our culture right now, we do what feels right versus what is actually right. We do what feels good to me versus what is actually good according to the scripture. There is a, a quote that has been made pretty famous over the past couple decades. Um, it is, the heart wants what it wants. Has everybody heard that before? Yeah? Now, as I was doing a little bit of research for this, I was led to the, uh, the, the prophetess and psalmist Selena Gomez from San Antonio, Texas. Selena Gomez penned one of the most recognizable breakup songs of 2014. I didn't know that. I read this, and it was like the number one breakup song, according to Disney Channel. But she wrote a song called The, the Heart Wants What It Wants. And it's, I mean, it's emotional. It is that. It's a breakup song. But before Selena Gomez made this popular within younger crowds, there was another gentleman who was interviewed by Time Magazine back in 1992. His name was Woody Allen. Not everyone knows who Woody Allen is because he's, I guess, kind of maybe out of his prime. But within Hollywood, he is, he is renowned for being a, a film director, film writer, Academy Award winner. And he wasn't being interviewed for something good, necessarily. Um, this, this, was, this was not a positive interview. He was actually being interviewed because it was discovered that Allen, 46, excuse me, 56 at the time, had been having an illicit affair with his stepdaughter, who was 21. Now, this was something that was even faux pas and not uh, received within Hollywood circles. It doesn't matter if she was of age. 
Hollywood was perplexed that Woody Allen, this man, would have an affair with his 21-year-old stepdaughter. And the interviewer, preparing to close the interview, pauses and he asks the question, well, Mr. Allen, why'd you do it? Allen pauses and he delivers the cultural iconic line, the heart wants what the heart wants. And man, that is a flawed ideology. That goes against everything that God has planned for you and I. That is an example, a modern day example of a disordered desire. It is so different than the scriptures plan for us that in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 this is what the word of God says about the heart he says that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked who really knows how bad it is what Alan called the heart scripture calls the flesh Paul impacts us a little bit further uh, to the church at Ephesus in, Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, everybody say all of us, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Paul, Paul just digs into it. One commentary refers to the flesh as the animalistic cravings of our body that move us further away from God, a disordered desire. Paul uses the word again in Romans chapter 7, and he says that the truth is that we use our flesh to attempt to satisfy sinful passions. Now, this goes beyond just the church, just beyond the Christian faith or Christian believers. Buddha references it. Plato references it. When they talk about how hard it is to control fleshly desires, uh, Rabbi Zalman says that the souls are sometimes like animals. Even Joe Rogan and Elon Musk decided to weigh in on this topic in saying that the inability of humans sometimes is so strong to refrain from the desires they crave. The point is, for a very long time, regardless of ethnicity, nationality, uh, even periods of history and beliefs, we as a human species have struggled with the desires to satisfy our flesh. And this has led to the unfortunate prevailing misconception that fleshly desires will bring happiness. That math sounds Logical, right? Desires met equals happiness experienced. If that was it, then, then, then yeah, maybe okay. I don't know. There's an accounting term. I may misuse the reference, but ceteris paribus? I'm not sure if that's correct. If everything else is the same, then maybe that works. But in reality, that is not true. It is flawed. It does not align with Scripture. Happiness is not about feeling good. But that's the way we think in culture. Happiness is about doing what God says is good. Now, there was a time in history where it was the responsibility of the community to show restraint, not to allow our flesh to rule us because it was good for the community. But now in the society that we live in, it's the right of the people to do whatever our hearts desire 
and don't you dare tell me how to live my truth. Now, I won't get into this. That's, that's the part of society that, that has believed this lie. Pleasure in the moment is not true happiness. Happiness is contentment. Happiness comes from within. Happiness comes from the Holy Spirit. That is God's plan. Amen? You believe that? Put your hands together. And I'm drilling this home because, again, we are in the process of dispelling the lies of the enemy. Now, these are things that we believed as a society. Your parents and their parents' parents and their parents' parents' parents have all struggled with the truth and the reality that it is difficult to deny our flesh and that we get our, des our desires out of order. And the devil has used this to create these mind maps, this, uh, th these ways of, of kind of almost muscle memory where I need to do this in order to feel good again. But pleasure is just about what I want. Happiness, the happiness that comes from a relationship with God is about freedom from want. John Mark Comer says it like this. Um, true happiness is a state of reality that happens after you discipline your desires. This was further discussed by a theologian by the name of Augustine. He's renowned now, he, he lived long ago. He was a philosopher and theologian. But before he was a philosopher and a theologian who committed his life to Christ, he was what John Mark Comer calls um, a, a frat boy, splitting his time between reading philosophy of Cicero and just, and I added this part, um, just being plain nasty. He's just out there doing things that, you know, that you shouldn't be doing. And this is by his own admission. Augustine also said as a single man, he famously prayed, God grant me chastity and self-restraint. Just not yet. And that was funny and a little bit relatable because everybody, I've been there before. God, if you give me one more chance, he's, I'll never do it again. No, I'll never do it again. Thank you for the few people who are, haven't always been saved, saved. Like I was kind of saved. I was at church, um, but I was still trying to do like Augustine. God, just, just I'll, give, I'll give my life to you tomorrow. The unfortunate thing about this is shapes our minds and our thinking to where um, Augustine said of the human experience is that what we love is not bad, necessarily. Loving is not bad, but we either love the wrong things or we love the right things in the wrong order. An example would be, I love my job. I'm an educator. I've been an educator for a long time. There are days it's hard, but there's something about walking onto a campus at the beginning of a school year and rearranging your classroom and the smell of the cafeteria and being at a football game and seeing a kid, uh, the light bulb come on. I love my job. But if I allow my job and my career and my passions and my aspirations to take the place or get out of order from my relationship with my wife, now we have a problem. If I allow my job and my career to become priority over my children, now there is an issue. The other side of that is, you know, recreation. Recreation is not bad. God, he created us to be a communal society, hanging out with friends, doing life together. Those are great things. But if all I want to do is, is recreation and, and do things that get me away from my priorities, like work or my wife, or my family, now we have a problem. 
It's not that our love is bad. It's that we get them in the wrong order. We love the wrong things. Now, I need you to listen. When we allow the lies of the devil to get planted in our hearts, we begin to think that we can, now listen to me, take the place of God and godly things. We are tricked into thinking that this is not going to harm us. And that is a lie. As a culture, we've been given over to this idea of self. Again, my truth. I get to define that. I get to pick what I want to be true. I want to form it. I want to apply it to my life. And don't you tell me that I can't do it. And as a culture, we have allowed ourselves to, to be in charge instead of God. John Mark Comer says this, that self has become the new God which each of us live. So if I now am in charge of setting the standard for morality, if I am now the person required for, for determining what is true, what is good, then, then that's scary. That's scary. And just to dive a little bit deeper, that kind of falls into this idea, this other ideology or way of thinking called consequentialism. That's a big word, so I'm going to read the definition on the screen. Uh, Consequentialism is a theory that assumes that the ultimate morality of an action is to be judged solely by its immediate consequences. Ultimate reality versus immediate consequences. A terribly flawed way of thinking. I'm going to give you a personal example. I like sugar. I do. I love cakes. I, um, I plan my travel itinerary on restaurants. That is... That's pretty much how I do it. I try to, to find the best places to eat. I like cake. I like homemade things. I not only like to eat sweet things and cake and rich things, I like to make them. I've been trying to master biscuits for about a year now, and I'm close. I'm, I feel like I'm close. And I, I just enjoy eating. I remember before me and my wife got married while we were engaged, um, her family didn't have a ton of money, and I married a Mexican woman, so I, I learned that my mother-in-law's love language was through serving me. And I, whether I ate dinner or not, I would arrive at her home, and there would be three bean and cheese tacos on the table. And you know what I did? I ate every single one of them every single time. Because I had to, to just show my respect, and I love bean and cheese tacos. My mom is a fantastic cook. I love to eat. Mom, I'm not hungry. Well, come on, baby. I just, just, I'll make you a plate real quick. Now, she didn't let us, like, just tell her what to do, but she would make the plate for us. Mom, I've already eaten, but she just continues to pile it on. And my mom is a fantastic cook. I love eating. And then one day, recently, I went to get my physical, and the doctor said, Mr. Griffin, I, um, I was looking at your numbers and you are what we call pre-diabetic. And I was like, how? <laughs> and I was like, sir, I will race you right now. We can go in the parking lot. I will take off my shoes and I will race you. I am still athletic. I am still in amazing shape for my age. I even lost weight. The scale looked good. I came in there confident. But it reminded me of... Uh, uh, an example my wife used in a lesson many years ago is like sin is like diabetes and you can't feel diabetes. Diabetes will sneak up on you. And that's not to make anybody feel bad. I'm, just, I'm telling you my personal story. But the same is true. 
I think that because I want this third donut, it's not going to affect me in the long run because I don't feel any immediate consequences. Is this, is this example connecting? You guys, you guys understand what I'm saying here? I don't see that there is any immediate consequence, so I continue with just consuming the thing that I like, that I enjoy. We think that if it doesn't destroy me immediately, it will not negatively impact me eternally. And that is a lie. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul says it this way. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not any, everything is constructive. So what Paul is saying is it may be morally permitted, but is it spiritually healthy? If you grew up like me, super churchy, we would say things like, is it, gonna, is it a heaven or hell issue? Is it a heaven or hell issue? Is it? If it's not, then let's do it. Laissez-les boutons rouler. Is that how they say it in New Orleans? You know, let's just, let's do it. Let the good times roll. But that is the wrong question. The question we need to be asking is, will it lead me closer to Jesus? We've got to understand that we are, we are in a war. We're in a battle. And the devil, the enemy, the Satan is doing everything he can to this world and society to get us to become numb to the lies of the enemy. It doesn't hurt me today. It's not that bad. I, I can do this. But believing those lies will cause us to miss out on God's truth and plan for our lives. Romans chapter 8, excuse me, verse 1 excuse me, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. This is a quick summation. He says it like this. Paul is, is talking to the Roman churches that they suppress the truth in, righteous, in unrighteousness. They become futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Lies that Satan tells when we try to live them, we try to justify those things. We try to justify, try to sound so smart, but we are really exchanging the truth of God and his plan for our life, life for Satan's lies. Now, I need you to understand this as we wrap up, that in order to overcome disordered desires, to overcome and dispel these, these lies or these ideas that the enemy wants us to believe, uh, is going to take more than behavior modification. My wife and I are goal setters. We, we make lists. And, and I'll say sometimes that everything I want is on the other side of discipline. But this is not one of those situations. Those are, this is not one of those situations. Discipline alone is not going to deliver me from my flesh. Discipline alone is not going to reorder the desires to align with God's will and purpose for my life. This is much more complex. This has been embedded in our society, in our world. This, is, this has been, uh, since the existence of man, since the fall of man, the enemy has been trying his best to rewire and numb the people of God, to believe lies that ultimately separate them from God. And these lies cause us to pursue disordered desires. This won't be solved by cultural manifestation. That's a new way of thinking now. If I manifest it, if I say it, if I, if I want it bad enough, I'll be able to see it happen. No. That's not going to work. We won't win that way. 
The only way that we will win, church, the only way that we will win is through the spiritual salvation, is through the power of the Holy Spirit that comes from a God who died, who shed his blood for the remission of sins. That is where we find our strength. Amen? I want you to bow your heads. We're going to get ready to close here. As I was reading this book, I was excited because what John Mark Comer did is he, he made the scriptures applicable. He, he, he was able to, to write them in such a way that it in, inspires you, but it compels you. It takes us from being on the defense to the offensive. It gives us tools and weapons to fight. We are standing in a war room looking over the terrain, looking over the battlefield. God is saying, I, I, I have a plan for you. I have a plan, a playbook for you. It's my scripture. I have the tools you need. It's my spirit. And God, we ask today that this word would go forth and it would, it would embed in the hearts and minds of your people. That you would begin to rewire and equip them to live for you. Because it is only through finding and following Jesus that we find our internal hope. We pray these things today in Jesus' name and everybody shout, amen. God bless you. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.